Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. 2 verse 10. <laughs> Back up. Okay, well, that was a good verse. That was a good verse, scary verse. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. All right, you probably were going, whoa, for a minute, weren't you? Well, this is a whoa book. We're on part three of the series on Revelation, and um, we're talking about the letters that Jesus wrote to these seven churches in the book. And this book of Revelation is in its entirety, from beginning to end, chapters 1 to 22, in its entirety, is a message from God to the Christians of these seven churches of Asia Minor. And it's to comfort them concerning the intensifying persecutions that they're experiencing by the Romans. But before God reveals his plans to judge Rome for their sins, he calls for these Christians to repent and to use the Old Testament analogy to strike the doorposts of their homes with the blood of the Lamb. In other words, to be separated from Rome and from Roman culture and the paganism that many of them were being caught up with. Their profession of faith in Christ is greatly consequential. Words mean something to Christ. And whether or not you said you know Him had an eternal consequence. And we see it here in these letters, as we know that it applies still today. The letters of the seven churches do not instruct them how to avoid persecution, but how to endure it. But as we're about to see, civil persecution is not the greatest threat to a Christian. And though they will be ostracized socially, strangled economically, imprisoned, tortured, and some even brought to death, God is still more concerned about their being spared from the second death, the death of the soul. Those who confess Christ will overcome, which is what I entitled this series because of its prominence in the book. Those who confess Christ will overcome and receive a mark on their foreheads with the seal of the living God and be numbered with those who will overcome the second death, the death of the soul. Those who deny him with their mouth or by their lifestyle will receive the mark 666 on their foreheads. We'll look at what that means a little bit later uh, in subsequent weeks. Some Christians are drinking the cultural Kool-Aid, except in the book of Revelation, the Kool-Aid spiked. And they're getting drunk on it. And they're drinking in all of the culture's wealth, all of the culture's worship, and all of the culture's entertainment. And the Lord has something to say not only to the Romans, but to the Christians. This roaring lion Peter speaks about in 1 Peter 5 is devouring the love and the faith of many Christians. There are thorns choking them out, tares growing up among them, and axe, the axe is lying at the root of the trees, to use language from the Lord and the Gospels. 
Jesus encourages them to stand strong in the face of Rome, but he warns them to run for their lives toward him to escape the second death which Satan is bringing upon sleepy Christians. First three chapters of Revelation is focused solely on the church. There's no hint or mention of Rome for three chapters. I mean, if we didn't know that chapter 6 was going to begin to usher in some of these judgments against Rome, we'd think it was just solely about the church. That lends emphasis in my mind as a Christian that God was serious when he said through Peter again that judgment begins first at the house of God with those who claim to be my children, with those who know who I am. I'll start there when I consider the hearts and the minds of the people of the earth. I'll start with my own children, as a parent would normally do. And so Jesus reveals and John writes, and they are to read, hear, and obey. But let us also read, hear, and obey from the application of these principles, because the revelation has been canonized in God's holy word for all churches in all ages to heed the warnings about spiritual lethargy. Last week we realized that a church, Ephesus, could leave its first love, Christ himself. And they were a busy church. And from all appearances, they were a church that we would say they look like everything's okay. But he said, you forgot the one thing. You forgot me. You're not doing this with me, for me. This isn't really about me. It's become an institution, a machine. It's become a system. And it's functioning. It's running down the track, but it doesn't have the engineer in it. And so he's saying, you need to come back to me. Repent and turn back. Or your candlestick will burn out. You see, the works of men, if not glorifying Christ will soon just look like the works of men to people. There may be love involved, there may be good works involved, but people will think, you're great. And that's not what we're about. We're to do these good works in love so that people will think God is great, who made them and who is calling them home. So our job is to point people upward. And so we can do all of this churchiatomy and fail to point people upward. In fact, we can fail to maintain a relationship, as people call it, a personal relationship with Jesus. There is such a thing where you know him, and he knows you, and you talk to him, and he talks to you, and you obey him, and he blesses you for that obedience. That's what he is seeking. Lest we forget, he wrote that letter to Ephesus. Now, let's take a look at the church in Smyrna. Isn't that a beautiful archway? And now back there it's beautiful. I don't know how much you can see up here. I tried to tinker with it in hopes that you could see it well up there. But if you really want to see it, take a look back on that screen back there. Beautiful archway still there. You see some of the remains of some of these cities I put on uh, these three churches. So I made an executive decision here to go with three churches today. That means we've got to have the wheels on and tight and move along. All right. Basically chapter, uh, chapter two here. Uh, the risk of that is, is going fast, getting a lot of stuff, and you walking out of here maybe without the things that you need. But I'm going to try and do the best I can with that and point out some of the highlights of we, what we need. The beauty of it, though, is comparison. And I thought it was worth doing it this way, to compare 
how Jesus talks to the different churches. And so in one hearing, we're going to hear how he addresses churches, commends churches, how he condemns the sinful activity of some churches or some people in some churches, how he calls them to repentance, how he consoles them and promises them for their faithfulness of when they overcome uh, reward from him and with him in heaven. So let's take a look at Smyrna. Let's take a look at Pergamos or Pergamum, some of you may have in your translations, and Thyatira. Smyrna, the beautiful city of Smyrna, was the center of Caesar worship for a long time and a leading city in the empire of Rome in this province of Asia Minor for quite some time. When Caesar Augustus was deified, when he was deified, who was the Caesar during the time of Christ's birth, a whole new cult was formed where citizens began to worship the king as God and demand that citizens pledge loyalty to the state. Well, that's trouble right there for Christians, isn't it? Okay, now we're, we're going back to Nebuchadnezzar days here where Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were forced to bow down and they didn't. And there were consequences to their decision. We're in a very similar situation here. But in these days, a new king was born who would not share his glory with Caesar. And his people knew that he would not share his glory with other deities. There is no other God before me. There is no other God. There is no other true religion. And God is trying to remind his people, and I'm reminding you today, there is no other way than the way that the creator of the universe designed for us to be saved and through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. So he's going to impress that upon them, but he's going to call them out on it as well. So in the salutation to the church in Smyrna, he says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Emphasis on was dead. Isn't that interesting? Anybody ever said that to you? I was dead and I came to life and I've got something to say to you. <laughs> well, somebody's saying it to you right now. This is the resurrected Christ. And he, uh, I want to show you, chooses these salutations, greetings to these churches probably with great carefulness so that they will understand something about him who is about to say something to them about them. I'm the resurrected Christ. I know your works, he says. Tribulation and poverty. Now notice this. I did not put this in parentheses. This is in the text. But you are rich. I know your works. I see what you're doing. Terrific. I know your tribulation. See that you're enduring that. Good for you. And I see your poverty. I see that you have been suffocated financially in this society because of your identification with me and your shunning by the empire and the people of the empire. I see that. But you're rich. Wow. They're not poor, and Jesus said, but I want you to know that you're going to experience some wealth in the future. Would you listen carefully again? They're experiencing poverty 
But Jesus said, you're actually rich. You may be feeling the hurt of the material squeezing, and you might be wondering where your next meal is going to come from, how you're going to gain income, or whether you can move someplace that you can survive. You might be wondering if they're going to knock on your door today or tomorrow or in the middle of the night. But you're rich right now. You have an inheritance in heaven. And you have all spiritual blessings in me now, Ephesians 1.7. You have every spiritual blessing in me. One has to do with the temporal for a short time. The other is eternal. The other carries weight into the future. And you're rich in that way. It'd be encouraging to someone who's about to hear what Kevin read to us. Some of you are going to be thrown in prison. Be faithful unto death. Encouraging to know this. There's a slight correction for some. Perhaps not to these because I think there's a distinct group that is not a part of the body here. When he says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So the Jews had a synagogue. Asia Minor was very populated with Jews. The Jews of the dispersion settled heavily in this region. That's why wherever Paul went to whatever city, he'd go to the synagogue and start preaching the gospel. Jesus Christ calls the synagogues a place of worship and education and social life of the Jews, the synagogue of Satan. They've rejected him. They've not received the gospel. And he said, I know about them. I know about them. They don't have it better. They're poor. He didn't say that. I did. But I know about them. I just want you to know I see a distinction, much like, again, going back to the Exodus, the distinction that was made between Israel when they struck the doorposts of their houses and Egypt. And, and Israel experienced none of those severe plagues uh, that was brought upon Egypt. He said, I see the distinction. I know who, who is mine. They say they are children of Israel. They say they are Jews. But do you know Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 2 and verses 28 and 29? Listen, who's a Jew? They say they're Jews. Who's actually a Jew? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You're my true Israel, church. You're the true children of Abraham by faith. They, those who say they're Jews and expect a blessing from God are not really truly Jews in the sense of the word that we understand it now. And the same goes for Christians, doesn't it? We talk about sometimes politicians who say they're Republicans in name only or Democrats in name only or whatever. We got little names for them, but there's Christians in name only too, isn't there? Right? And so this message goes to Christians too, no doubt. He calls them not to repentance, but to remain faithful even to death. So this is one of two churches that he does not specifically call to repentance for a sin that they're committing. 
That's good. Smyrna's a good group. They're, they're healthy. So he says, I'm calling you to remain faithful. Remain faithful. Even through the point of death. However long this 10-day period is that you see in verse 10. Uh, probably an indefinite period of time. Uh, as it's used in other places in scripture. But he identified them. He sees who's faithful. So even though, as we've talked about previously, what is the character or nature of these letters, that he addresses churches, and even though he draws distinctions and he calls the church to resolve problems, he does draw distinctions. And that's good to know. Well, not everything's right in your church. It's good to know that you can be right. And I encourage, I'm getting off on a rabbit chase, I know, but I, I encourage people with this a lot who are moving around looking for churches. Don't forget, you're never going to find the perfect church. You're not going to find a perfect church. There's something that needs to be said to every church. There's work that needs to be done everywhere. But you can be perfect before the Lord in that church if they're following His will and have that basic uh, doctrine of Christ that they're following. And if someone over here just doesn't have the Spirit, well, that doesn't mean you can't have the Spirit. You know, If someone over here is doing something they ought not, doesn't mean you have to do something you ought not. It doesn't mean you have to leave either. We're called to resolve these problems. So he calls them just to remain faithful. The consolation is whoever overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Okay, so you might have to die for my name's sake. But if you overcome, that is if you're faithful through the, through the point of death and you don't say, I don't know him, I'm never going to worship him again. I don't know Christ you don't do that and you remain faithful and you overcome and get struck down or torn apart by beasts, you won't be hurt by the second death. When Christ comes and calls all men everywhere forth from the graves and resurrects his children to life and condemns those who are sinners to eternal damnation, you won't be touched by that. You'll come straight on up. You'll fly away as we sing. So that's a good, a good letter for them. Do you know everybody's reading these letters? Here we are reading everybody's business. They were reading each other's business too in the first century. This is one volume. And it's sent out. And you'll see here in the next church or maybe Thyatira that what he does and what he says to them is so that all the churches will know. This is shared information. People don't like it. Probably didn't. Churches probably didn't like their business being shared. But it's for everybody to understand. So in Christ we're rich and have everything we need to live eternally. And in Christ we're resurrected. If you're a baptized believer, you've been raised to new life. You've been born again. The second death will not hurt you if you live faithfully to Christ. Let's take a look at Pergamos. Isn't that beautiful? I want to go there. <laughs> Love to go there and check that out. What a theater. Remember Ephesus last week? I mean, they liked their theaters. They liked their entertainment. Sometimes it was grotesque entertainment. But uh, beautiful, up on the side of a mountain. There's some things notable about this place. Pergamos was the official capital of the Asian province of the Roman Empire. The official capital. And the seat of state religion, which became Caesar worship. Uh, at the time of the Christian persecution. The temple of Zeus was here. 
and the most famous altar in the world, a natural outcropping, which I think is off the edge of this theater, a natural outcropping on the side of a mountain called the throne of Asclepios. I don't know a lot about the Greek gods. I have enough trouble with my own God studying him and learning him. I wish I, I wish I was better about that for you. But if you go and study about this God, this is a God who people were calling Savior. Save us, Asclepius. Save us. It was a common saying heard in the city. Imagine how that made the Lord feel when he heard people calling to someone else to save them. He introduces himself as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword that we see in chapter 1 was coming out of his mouth. A blade coming out of his mouth. Isn't that interesting? Roman authorities carried a sword, a shorter, this is like a shorter dagger with two edges, with which they were commissioned and authorized to execute criminals, criminals of the empire. And though Pilate said to Jesus, for example, do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus said to him, what? You could have no power at all unless it had been given to you from above. Wow. That's our Lord reminding them who has the sword by the power of words that can execute judgment on all men, even including you, Pilate. You'll come under this judgment someday. I don't think Pilate read all of that, but he was a little nervous about Jesus, to say the least. This power resides in his mouth and in his words. And church, here's the beauty of it. We don't have to wait and wonder what he's going to say to us. We're reading it. Oh, man, when we say, church, read your Bibles, spend time in the Word, learn God's Word, learn what He has to say to you. This is why, so that you don't fall asleep, and that you don't come to that day of judgment and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, here we are, here's the point where I get ushered up. And He says, I never knew you. Well, I went to church every week, so did the Ephesians. You know, well, I did a lot of good works, so did the Smyrnas, and so did the, the Pergamums, Pergamese, I don't know what you call them, so did they. Did you read the letters I wrote to them? Did you read those? Well, no. I was busy. It's busy playing. It's busy working. We've got to pay attention closely to these letters. The commendation. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. That's yeah, the seat of state religion, capital of this province of the Roman Empire. He said, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my name, my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Sounds to me like they witnessed an execution of a Christian. Probably to make a statement to other Christians, right? James was killed with the sword in Acts chapter 12. Peter said, I'm in prison, I'm next. And he was praying to the Lord, the angel let him out. The church was praying firmly. They knew it was a statement. It's a good way to make a statement. And he said, I know about it. And I know about Antipas, my faithful martyr. I was watching. I was watching. And I know the influence that it has had on you because you still stand in the face of Rome. If the synagogues 
were the synagogues of Satan and the throne of Asclepius was the throne of Satan. And whoever he was, he gave a faithful testimony of Christ. His faithful witness, that's the word from which we get the word martyr, martus, witness, martyr. They stayed faithful even when someone was killed among them. But there's a correction. I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to seduce the children of Israel into sexual immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols, mixing religions essentially, Christianity in those days, Judaism, paganism, and now here we have those who are mixing Christianity with paganism, and you have them there among you. Just like Antipas was killed among you, you have some among you who are doing this part of the church. You also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I also hate. And I don't know what all those things were. We're not really told. We can guess some. But it was perversion of the gospel. It was perversion of um, norms, societal norms. It was perversion from God's will. And he said, you have them there. Repent, all of you, or else I will come to you quickly and fight against you with, you see it there? You see why he introduced himself this way? With the sword of my mouth. What does that mean? I'm going to speak judgments upon you and my word will not return to me void. Remember, this is the God who can say, let there be light and there's light. And he can say, let the curtains be rolled back. This is the end and it will come. And he said, if I speak against you, It'll be a judgment that you won't be able to escape. Repent, turn around and come back. Well, I'm, I'm doing all right, Lord. It's them, not me. You all figure out how to get everybody on board or how to purge that sin out of the body from among you, but don't have it among you. Don't have it among you. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manatee. That's me, I'm the bread of life. And I will give him a white stone, a symbol of many things, friendship, relationship, contract, and a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. It'll be a name that God's going to call you. <clears throat> and when names were given in the Bible, it had to do with someone's character. God changed people's names, remember? Quite a bit. Like Peter, right? It was Cephas. I'm going to call you Peter because you're like a rock. Not a bedrock like I'm going to build my church on, but your heart, solid rock. I just, your new name's Peter, all right? It had to do with your character. He's going to give you a name. Don't you wonder what that would be? That's pretty good. And if you receive that, it's going to be a good name, all right? What we don't want is a number on our forehead. Let's take a look at this last one. Well, draw some conclusions, just a couple. Jesus holds the power to judge men by his mouth. He will judge the church first. We must obey him. The church must stand strong against opposition from without, which is oftentimes what we talk about so often, and from within. We cannot have among us those who practice sin. That means we kick them out means we call them to repentance like the Lord does. 
means we have discipline among us as well. Now let's, let's talk about this balance of love and tough love. This is interesting. The church in Thyatira, this is about all the beauty that remains of that city. The church in Thyatira, he addresses and says, These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. The church at Thyatira was a garrison town for the Roman army and a blue-collar town. And there were trade guilds for every trade uh, that was practiced among them. A guild is a union. To put it in our modern-day terms, probably not exactly the same or run the same, but same idea. It's a trade guild. come with uh, protections and benefits and so forth. And uh, that's what they were known for. And so he addresses them and he says, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like fine brass. He's peering into the hearts of the church like a refiner's fire, revealing what lies within. Let's see what's lying within. First of all, he says, I know your works, your love. That's interesting. Hasn't said that yet, has he? This is the fourth church. It's the first time he said, I know your love. I don't think it means the other ones were all unloving, but he highlights this, which is important. I know your love, your service. That's a new word for the churches. Your faith and your patience. And here's a new thing too. As for your works, they're more than the first. You're getting better. I know your love and you're increasing your energy and your work. To do what? To make disciples. To do the will of the Lord. Nevertheless, ouch. Yeah, they probably thought they were going to be all right for a minute. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because, do you remember at Pergamos, you have, you allow. You see it here? You allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idol. Their love has become soft, perhaps. So the spirit of kindness, generosity that we enjoy when there's love amongst us must be balanced with a love for Christ where we hold on to his words above all else. And that means when there's imperfect people trying to excel in love, there's still going to be sin in the camp. And love means that you don't allow people to, not just sin, but to get hurt by sin. Don't you remember that's why God hates sin? is because it hurts people. Sin destroys people. So the reason he doesn't want it in the church is because it will destroy people. And that's why he's calling it out. And he's saying there's this thing you're allowing. All of you who have been inactive or unresponsive, imagine being the leaders of the church too or the elders here. You've allowed this thing to take place. Now in the Galatian letter, Paul says... To those who may not be elders, those of you who are spiritual, go and restore such a one to the faith, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. So shepherds, 
should be careful to maintain the doctrine, Titus chapter 1 says, 6 through 9. But all of us are responsible to hold each other accountable for sin. We confess our sins to one another, James said to do that, so that we can hold each other accountable. Hey, brother, how you doing this week? I know you are struggling with that last week. I know you got angry at your wife and, and really went off. Uh, let's, let's get into word. Let's get some help. You know, how are you doing with that? That's accountability that must be had between us. That's actually the church discipline we read about in the Bible. It's not just wait till everything blows up and then disfellowship people. This is the discipline that he's calling for here. Hey, y'all, there's some. You all fix it, or I will come to you all and remove your lampstand, your influence. Be gone. And I'll take it, because I don't want to be known as Jesus Christ, the laughingstock of this religion of paganism and Christianity. I'll remove myself from this. So you remove that so that I am welcomed here. Powerful words to read. Difficult to read. I don't think they had much warning either. Like one day they're at worship like this. Ah, everything's good. Then they get a letter. (laughs) I gave her, this Jezebel, time to repent. So it's been going on for a while, right? I gave her time to repent from her sexual immorality and she did not. Indeed, I will catch... This is not a call to repentance for Jezebel, whether that's her name or the obvious symbolic name of the wicked Jezebel married to Ahab in the Old Testament. That was really wicked. I'll cast her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, perhaps against Christ, or perhaps literally, into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I'll kill her children with death, perhaps those who are the offspring of this teaching. Perhaps children. David and Bathsheba. I'm not going to apologize for what he says here. I'll kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. You better believe where to get around. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Yow. Okay. This is not Satan coming before God and God saying, Have you considered the church in Thyatira? And he says, Ah. And he says, Very well, go. But this is God saying, I will do this. I will do this directly. Satan's already had his way with you. Now I am going to come in judgment. And with the sword of my mouth, with my eyes that see all things, I will purge. I will purge. It's not what we want, church. This is not what we want. Okay? And so our Lord, and you're thinking, wow, I thought he was gracious and merciful. He is. He's given us the copies of the letters he wrote to the churches in the first century. He's being very gracious to us. Let's read them. So, there's consolation in this. Now I say to you and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, distinction, I see those of you who are not caught up with Jezebel, who have not known the depths of Satan. See, it's pretty bad. It's It's pretty coarse and gross. As they say, I will put on you no other burden. This is just the thing I need you to do right now. I need you to fix this problem. Fix it quick or I'll come quick. Don't sit around and talk about it too long. 
come up with a strategy, have the right people deal with this. But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I'll give him power over the nations. I'll also, as I also have received from my fathers. Does that sound like Matthew 28, 18? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Right? I've received it. I'll give you authority to rule with me. But you've got to overcome. You've got to overcome. So in closing, this church and the sermon. There's just plenty here to think about. This, this church which is increasing in love and good works must be disciplined enough also to purge sin from among itself. Our aim here at the Pickerington Church of Christ is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. The edification of itself in love. We've got to all come together as members of one another and bring what God has gifted us with and give it to the church and then receive what others give us to edify, to build up the body in love and good works. But we also need to recognize sin is like leaven. It works its way through the church like a loaf of bread. Sometimes can't even see it or tell it's happening until it's all risen together. And it's like too late. Because we've got to get rid of this. We've got to have that kind of balanced church. So while we try to focus on the mission of making disciples and we work on our internal health and edifying one another, and while we think about reaching lost souls, don't forget all of us are accountable to make sure that sin is put away from us. And that takes courage. And if you didn't have courage, this letter ought to give you courage. <laughs> it scares me to have courage. That's how I get courage sometimes. I'm scared into it. Increasing love and works plus a disciplined defense will make this a healthy church, not just today and not just tomorrow, but Pickerington Church of Christ will be here for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the light will shine brighter and brighter. Amen? Man, that's what I want. If I have kids and grandkids in this area, I want them to be able to come here. If I, your kids and grandkids, I want them here. And I want them to have a place where it's healthy. That lies within us to obey. Let's stand and sing this song. And if you haven't obeyed Christ, and you want to put him on in baptism and begin a walk with this Savior and this King, do so today.